society throughout history and cultures has valued greatness. Like it's, it's just been something that's kind of constantly risen to the surface, greatness. I mean, think about this for a moment throughout just moments of history. Alexander the Great, he achieved greatness through his leadership and his military prowess. Think about um, Shakespeare, right? Shakespeare achieved greatness through his ability to write poetry and literature. The Beatles, the Beatles achieved greatness through music. Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs achieves greatness through communication and technology. The GOAT, Michael Jordan, he achieves greatness through sport and the ability to obtain fame and fortune. I think I would ask this morning is, what, what, what greatness do you value? As you think about your life, what greatness do you personally value? Is it worldly greatness or godly greatness? As we come this morning to Matthew chapter 20, I think the text shows us that deep down in our hearts, we have misunderstood greatness. We have misplaced the value of what is truly great. And I think today, I hope we leave with this, this, this truth. The true greatness is not about making a name for ourselves, but making much out of Jesus through generosity, service, and compassion. Hear it again. I hope today that we leave knowing this truth, that, that greatness, true greatness, is not about making a name for ourselves, but making much out of Jesus through generosity, service, and compassion. Might we ask today as we start, just who are you living to make great? As you consider your life just for a moment, who are you living to make great? Your name or Christ's name? Today as we come here to Matthew chapter 20, it finds itself in a unique place. Matthew chapter 18 through 20 is this idea of Jesus sharing us about what does it look like to be kingdom people? What does it look like to be Jesus' followers in this world? It started with this question in verse, or the opening of Matthew 18 was, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That was the question. And, and since that point, I think Matthew 18, 19, and 20 have all been answering that. And then we're going to see it full go as we come into Matthew chapter 21. At the end of Matthew 19, as we were studying a few weeks ago, there was this moment in which Peter asked, as the rich young ruler walks away, he says, well, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. What will that be for us? And Jesus begins to answer, what does it look like to follow him? And what does it look like to be great? And Matthew 20, I think, is a full explanation or a more, more full explanation of what it looks like to be great. And then we come to chapter 21. So again, Matthew 20 finds itself in a unique place of what's happening before it, 18, 19, and then what's going to happen immediately after in chapter 21. And what happens immediately in Matthew 21 is that it opens with Jesus entering Jerusalem on that Sunday morning, Palm Sunday. And you would think that if this is the king, he would come in on this great white horse. There would be all this army that would be marching in with him saying, this is him, he's the ruler, bow down. But instead he enters Jerusalem riding on what, church? A donkey. I think screaming to us, guys, this is what true greatness is. It's humility, it's compassion, it's kindness, it's putting others before yourself. 
So Matthew 20 is in this interesting place because, listen, Matthew 20 is going to finish and launch us in to the final week of Jesus' life. Matthew 21 to 28, is that's what Matthew is dealing with, right? Everything's been going fast-paced, and then you hit Matthew 21, and it just slows down for this week, and he just stretches it out to show us all these things that are happening. So Jesus, again, is going to show us today to help us understand maybe we haven't got what's truly great, like we haven't valued the right thing, but I think there's hope today as we come to him. And I, this first truth stands out. Jesus shows us that true greatness, his true greatness, is through generosity. Jesus shows us that true greatness through his generosity. Listen to it as it opens here, beginning in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven, right? So again, he's telling us about the kingdom, right? This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a master of a house who goes out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them out to his vineyard. All right, so, so kind of typically you have to understand what a work day was in this society. It was usually from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., right? That, that was typically the work day. Jesus says that this, this, this master of the house, which represents God in the story, right? So again, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. Here's how God's kingdom works. Well, he's like the master of a house. He goes out early. He says, hey, listen, you guys, won't you come and work in my vineyard? Right, go start at 6 a.m. Guess what? God's going to be fair. He says, I want you to know I'm going to pay you a denarius a day. Denarius was, was typically a day's wage. God says, I'm going to be fair. I'm going to pay that to you. So the story starts out great. Everything's good. Thumbs up. We understand. And then verse 3 starts. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever's right I'll give you. So they went out. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he said the same. The third hour, right? So there, it's about 9 a.m. The sixth hour stands for noon. The, the ninth hour stands for about 3 p.m. And so he's just continually going back into the, into the marketplace saying, hey, listen, I, I need more work in my vineyard. We got more than we can do. Why don't you come? And so he started at 6 a.m. He goes back at 9. He goes back at noon. Now he goes back again at 3. He's saying, hey, you guys come, right? Whatever is right, I'll give you. And so they say, hey, we'll go. We'll go work. And about the 11th hour, so again, interesting enough, the 11th hour is about 5 p.m. All right, so you've got roughly about one hour left in the day to work. All right, so again, the work day, 6 a.m., 6 p.m., the 11th hour, this is him going out at 5 p.m., right? The day's almost over. He goes out and he finds other people standing. And he says to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They say to him, well, because no one has hired us. We aren't certain but scholars at least think it's possible that the reason why these individuals are here, the reason why no one has hired them is likely because of two things. One is they're old. And so they just can't do what they used to do. The other possibility is that they're handicapped. And so nobody wants to hire them. And so they've been standing there all day. They still have a family to feed. They still need food. Guys, again, we're not certain that that's the truth of what's happening here, but it is, again, likely. If that alone is the moment, we are seeing the heart of God revealed. That the old are not forgotten in his kingdom. That your value is not in what you once could do and that you can't do now for the church or for your family. That handicaps, whatever that may be, physical, mental, different things that you may wrestle with or others you know, doesn't limit your value to God's kingdom. It's a beautiful moment, isn't it? Like, that's a God that's amazing. And so again, he, he, look what he says. He says, hey, you guys, you go out in my vineyard too. Come on. Come on. Well, the story continues, and it says, when evening, evening came, verse 8, 
The owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. So he says, hey, listen, start with the guys that we got at five, then work with the guys we got at three, the guys we got at noon, nine, and then finally the guys that have been here all day, the guys from 6 a.m. to 6, we're going to pay them last. And so he's like, hey, absolutely, let's do it. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a what? A denarius. Like, immediately, right? Your mind's going off like, oh, hold up, whoa, whoa, whoa. That, that's what he was going to pay the guys who worked from 6 to 6. So if he's going to pay those guys that much, then surely like he must be ready to pay these other guys a lot more than Like, dude, this is our day, right? You're thinking like, man, he said a denarius. He just paid these cats who've literally worked an hour, who we all know can't really get that much work done anyway. That's why they've been waiting all day. If he paid them like that, then what's he going to pay us? Let's watch. Verse 10 of Matthew 20. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a what? That's hard. Like, let's be honest, like that, it depends on, like, if you're a high justice person, like immediately, like you're like flipped by that, you're like, dude, that's not fair. That's not right. I'll be finding somebody else to work for tomorrow. Like, and guess what, if, if, if you're thinking that, if you're feeling that this morning, you're in good company, at least with these other guys, because look at it says, verse 11, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last, these last worked only one hour, and you have made, here, I think this is, the, this is the rub, you have made them what? Equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Let's be honest, I think we can all camouflage our hearts for a certain period of time, but there comes like that line in the sand where like enough is enough. And many times, let's just be honest, money is one of those things like, that's enough. I, I'm, not, I'm not down with that anymore, right? I mean, like, th- this is like, this is hard, right? Because I, I think, again, we all probably here, just being honest, we probably struggle with greed like and like wanting more. I mean, like, and maybe you just ask you today just this question. Do you ever struggle with the idea that someone else is considered equal to you? Is that ever like hard just to hear or think about? Like if today, for example, I went and talked with you about farming, you're a farmer here, and I compared your farm and your farming ability to that other farmer that you know about, saying, man, you're kind of like them. Or imagine this, like the teachers, at the end of the school year, the principal invites you up and says, hey, I just want you to know that we've had two teachers that have absolutely rocked it out. And they bring you up and you're like, that's right, me, yes. And then they stand that other person next to you and you're like, dang, no way she or he is like me. I mean, can you imagine like if somebody just in context just has a conversation with you, does it ever ruffle your feathers when they compare that other musician or singer to you? When they talk about that other parent, like as if they parent, their kids are like your kid. Like, dude, do you see their kids? You see mine? Do you ever just have moments when you just struggle with somebody else being considered equal to you? I think maybe we wrestle with that because we wonder and think like, well, they haven't worked like I've worked to get here. Right? Like they haven't put the years in that I put in. They don't have the degrees that I have. They can't do what I can do. I think we all struggle with that simple statement. You think they're equal to me? And that's why, listen, guys, they're grumbling. I think it's a moment in which the heart of these people are just being revealed. 
And I think their heart, if you're being honest, is a lot like our hearts. We struggle with pride. We struggle with thinking that we're the most important. I think the truth is, by nature, our hearts are not generous. They're grumbly. The tendency is for many of us is to be more like Eeyore than Pooh Bear. Right? The, the, the reality is we're more like Oscar the Grouch than Elmo over there laughing in the corner. Like It's just like our hearts. But I think the good news is in this story is that there's one who can redeem our hearts. There's one who's not like us. There's someone that's actually generous and humble at heart. Let's, let's just listen to how he now interacts in this story. Verse 13. But he replies to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? You may have something else there. Uh, it may say evil eye, right? It's indicating the eyes is what's behind this, that there's, it's revealing the heart, right? I mean, there's this anger like, hey, listen, God, if, if, if that's your heart, if that's how you're going to treat others that aren't equal to me, that haven't lived as holy as I live, they haven't been to church as long as I've been, they haven't prayed as much as I pray, they don't read their Bible as much as I read, they don't go on mission trips like me, they don't give like I give. I think it's amazing that amazing grace has a tendency so often to reveal our own hearts. Do we find ourselves begrudging God because he's showing grace to them? Or do we find ourselves just overwhelmed and thankful that he would show grace to us? And hallelujah when he shows it to other people too. A while back, um, we had asked the boys to help us out with some things. And so I, I was going around just kind of paying up. Right? We don't always do that, but sometimes just uh, trying to help encourage them and, and just how to work and do some things and trying to reinforce some of those at times. Again, not always. Some things are just, hey, these are expect expectations. But sometimes we just say, hey, we want to reward you. You've been working. We're going to do that. And I remember one day we were going around just kind of get Annie and up, kind of paying back and rewarding them to say thank you. And the conversation didn't go as I expected. I thought it would be like, Dad, dude, thank you so much. It's so awesome that you'd be generous. No, the question was, how much did you pay them? Right? I mean, like, I think that's what, I think we all struggle with that, right? I mean, I share that because, I, listen, I think if children struggle with that, come on now. We've all, all of us lived a lot longer, seen a lot more, crossed a lot more bridges. We all in this room struggle with that mentality of begrudging others, of just having that eye to think, how could you think they're equal to me? And yet this amazing story that God is not like us, he's generous. But you haven't worked long enough or hard enough to earn his love. I don't know what point in the story you've walked in, if you grew up in the church or maybe you're late in the game and you're just coming in. I want you to know that there's a God who's generous. And the truth is, if you started early in your life from the nursery to now, the truth is you're no more loved by God or saved by God than the one that enters at the last hour. That's a generous God. That's a generous God. I think that after this, I would hope that my heart and your heart would be like, man, Jesus, dude, I'm so sorry I got this wrong. Thank you. And this is actually where we picked up last week, 17 and 19, and Jesus tells about the fact he predicts the third time, I'm going to die and be raised again. And you would think again, man, surely these guys now have figured it out. Like, oh, man, God, your heart is so unlike ours. I'm sorry we messed up. But the very next story is another story of them messing up. 
I think it's a reminder that none of us in here are perfect, right? I mean, like, it just you, you can hear the stories, you, 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 can, you can hear the truth of God's word, but we all struggle, just like the disciples with our hearts not being right. But the good news is, is that guess what? Is that Jesus shows us that true greatness through his service. Jesus shows us true greatness through his service. So he showed it first through that generosity, again, of just giving benevolently, just loving but now he shows it again through service. Watch what happens when two disciples and their mama, right? Talk about the overprotective mama bear, right? It's like, dude, these are grown men, and their mama shows up with them. It's a pretty, pretty interesting story, but here we go. Verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her son. So this is James and John's mama, right? James and John, so you think about the inner three. Peter, James, John, this is two of those guys. James and John. They must be having this question, want to ask, or maybe their mama's like, you boys better ask. And like, we can't ask Jesus that. And so like, well, mama's like, I'll go ask then, right? And so mama shows up and it says, look, it says, she shows up with her boys and they come kneeling before him and she asks Jesus for something. And he says to her, all right, get to it. What do you want? She says to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Why? They just heard Matthew 19. Jesus says, listen, I want you to know that when you will follow me, you'll sit on 12 th- thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And so, that, listen, these guys have heard that. And they're like, hey, listen, Jesus, hey, that, that's awesome. We're so excited to be a part of your kingdom. But listen, is it possible, like when things kind of work out at the end, like you could put James over here and John over here or switch them however you want. Like we, we don't want them to like be at the kids' table. Like, we want them to be close. So, like, they're hearing you tell stories. They're in on all the jokes throughout eternity. Like, they're, they're in the in crowd. Like, we want them to be close to you, Jesus. That, like, that's what we're after here. And look what happens. Jesus answers, verse 22, you, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. It's an interesting moment, right? Again, we have this statement, right? Jesus asked them about drinking this cup, right? He says, are you guys able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? And they say, we are able. It's interesting that Jesus responds back. He says, well, you, you, you will drink my cup. So we have to ask the question, well, what is this cup that's being referred to, right? What, what is Jesus talking about here? Throughout the Bible, typically, right, the cup, it, it can reserve to re, refer to blessing, right? But most often when we see about the cup, it's a cup of wrath, a cup of judgment, a cup of anger of God. Isaiah 51 says that you will drink the cup of God's wrath and you will stagger. Like this is a cup of judgment. This is a cup that it's coming upon Listen to what Jesus says. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? Like, I'm going to drink a cup. He says, can you guys drink that cup? And they say, well, we can. And he says, you're going to drink from my cup, but you've got to understand there's something different about Jesus' cup than all of ours. And maybe even hearing that, like, immediately when you hear about that there's going to be a cup of wrath and God's anger, like, like immediately, like, just turns you off. You say, you know what? I'm all for a God of love, but, like, man, when you start talking about Right, like we sang that song, the Father's wrath completely satisfied. Like, I, I'm just not down with that. Pastor, author Tim Keller, he, he speaks about this and, and he writes these, speaks about it. And when he says, he says, listen, that people are often upset. Like, they're upset that God's angry at evil because they want a God who would just love people. 
And he says, listen, so often we think that God's anger towards sin and God's love are incompatible, but the reality is they're inseparable. You see, you and I must have a God who is angry towards sin. Because if there's no anger towards sin, then guys, there's no holiness, no righteousness, there's no justice. I mean, who's going to make things right? And listen, there must be one who has anger towards sin. He's rightfully holy. It's, a, it's, it's an attack upon his glory, his goodness, on how he intends things. He is a good father. You sang it this morning. That means he will make all things right. But at the same time, this God also is a God of love. And he delights in showing mercy and grace to the undeserving. And the question is, where do God's wrath and his love meet? It's at the cross. On the cross, Jesus, the Son of God, suffers the wrath of God. He drinks this cup of God's anger towards sin. At the same time, it's fully displaying God's love because there is nothing that you and I could earn or deserve that kind of love, that kind of sacrifice. It's freely given by grace. You couldn't earn it or deserve it. So guys, I want you and I to understand that God's wrath and his love are not incompatible. They're actually inseparable. We can't have one without the other. They work together. And so when Jesus writes or speaks to them here, he says, listen, guys, I want you to know that I'm going to drink a cup. And you guys, they say, we're able. He says to them, well, you will drink my cup. So the truth is, right, that James and John both suffer. James, I don't know if you were in Sunday school this morning, if you, if you had the same text that our class did, but Acts chapter 12, Acts 12 begins with James being beheaded by the sword. He, he's going to drink the cup of He's going to experience judgment, suffering. Not the same cup that Jesus drinks. He can't suffer for our sins, right? He has, he has sin of his own, so he has to ultimately look to Christ, but he is going to suffer. And then John, who's standing there, ultimately will be exiled to the island of Patmos, right? And that's where he's going to write the last book of the Bible there, the book of Revelation, right? And he reveals, God reveals this great vision to him. So both of these guys are going to suffer for the name of Jesus. But none can suffer like Jesus. But guess what happens? Verse 24 says, when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. And look what happens. Jesus calls to them and says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever will be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's interesting, right? I mean, like the disciples, they're, they're grumbling. Like, how in the world could you guys ask for those seats? Like, dude, we've been in the field just like you have since 6 a.m. You see how the stories connect? Like, how could you ask for that? We're laboring just like you are. And Jesus says, guys, I want you to know. I want you to know that that's actually how the world lives. The world's after greatness like that. The world's wrestling with it. But he says, I want you to know that's how the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them. The nations, they live like that. That's how the corporate world works. But that's not how it is to be for my kingdom and my church. They're great ones. They exercise authority over them. They can't wait to get to the top, right? So listen, what Jesus says. He says, it's not to be so among you. But whoever be great among you must be your servant, right? I mean, Jesus says, listen, I... And whoever be first among you must be your slave. So listen, he says, if you would be great, like if you want to know what true greatness is, he says, it's serving. 
true greatness is not being first. It's being the slave. It's being the last. Right? I mean, listen, I, he says true greatness is not being at the front of the line. It's serving the food. It's wiping down the tables. It's waiting until after everybody else leaves. And you've surely got other things to do too, but you help put up chairs. I mean, it's just simple serving. I want to ask, when you show up to this church, are you thinking about how you might be served? Or do you think about how you might serve others? Jesus says, the great are those who serve. It's interesting, right? The, the word that's used here behind it, this word for serve is the word which we translate in 1 Timothy 3 and others, deacon, right? It indicates this, this idea of, of service. The, the deacons aren't, again, it, look what he says. He says, listen, deacons and then servants throughout the church. It's, it's not a position of authority over others. It's a place of service. It's a place of being the last Right. It's again, he says, I want you to know the world is after greatness. They're finding any way they can to get to the top. But that is not how it is to be in my church. The church in God's kingdom is to be a place where the greatest are the least. I want to encourage you just simple ways to be a servant. You might say, Blake, how can I maybe serve around here? Maybe like it's like last week. I know it's it's maybe gross and I get some weird season. But man, maybe when you walk out of the aisle and you see somebody left their communion cup, why don't you pick it up for them? When you walk by and see some, I see the Jesse boys got a paper airplane down there on the floor. They need to pick it up. But listen, maybe it's just you could pick it up. Maybe when during the week you can go and visit and check on the sick or call a shut-in and see how they're doing. Like It's just simple ways. Like Oftentimes servants are just behind the scenes. I want to encourage you to be looking for ways in which God might use you. Because look what he says, whoever will be great. Again, we all want to be great. We want our children to be great, right? We want our grandchildren to be great. And Jesus says, the greatness in my kingdom is service. It's humility. But where does a desire like this come from? Look what he says, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The example, guys, for us serving like that, is to see the way that Christ has first served us. It's as John says, we love him because he what? First loved us. It's the Son of Man came not to be served. Like if surely if anyone deserves serving in the church, it, it would be Jesus. But he doesn't come to be served, but to serve. And, and his service ultimately leads to a place of giving his life as a ransom for many. He's willing to lay down his life. The, the word ransom is used of the price that was paid to release someone from slavery. Like it was this, kept, this person was captive and they couldn't afford to set themselves free. They didn't have the power or the resources to do it. So someone else, an emancipator, had to come in their place and pay what they couldn't pay to do what they couldn't do to set them free. The truth is you and I are under a terrible master. That master is sin. In John chapter 8, verse 34 Jesus says that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That means that we are all enslaved. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. John 8, 34. The truth is we have no power to set ourselves free from that bondage to sin. Until one came who served and gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' death in our place, guys, is the only thing that will set us free. It is His forgiveness, His grace, His mercy, 
his death, his sacrificial offering is what frees us to serve. That's what Paul writes as he writes to Titus in chapter 2, verse 14. says that Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are, look what he says here, zealous for good works. It's the redemption that Christ does on our behalf that transforms us, it purifies us. It's no longer about trying to obey the law perfectly enough. We would never measure up. We could never purify ourselves, but Jesus has done that for us. He has died as our substitute, paying the wrath of God, the judgment that God deserves to give us for our sins. Christ does that. And Paul says to Titus, guys, those who have been redeemed are eager for good works. Just be honest, if you and I sat down today after church and talked, would we define your serving the church as zealous? Would we say that, like, when it comes to serving your family at home, do you find yourself zealous? When we think about the poor here in Greene County and the poor throughout the nations, do we define your giving and your serving of them as zealous? When we think about the lost, could we define my zeal for the lost or your zeal for the lost? Is, like, is, it, is it true zeal? Are we passionate about reaching them and taking the gospel to them? Might we ask today, do we have literally a desire to be small, to be last, to lift others up, to put others in the first place? It reminds me about those who are willing to relinquish fame and glory for the sake of service. I think about those who take a less paying job so that they might have an opportunity to, to better serve. On the other hand, I think about those who have taken maybe a step up in a job. Why? Because they know that it's going to put them in a position of authority, that they'll be able to help and empower even more people to better strengthen and serve. I think about the parent or the grandparent who lets go of their dreams and their aspirations to serve their family. I think about the church member who, instead of living their life for leisure, wakes up each week and says, what might I do this week to better serve my brothers and sisters in the church, in this community? Guys, Paul expects that the work of Jesus Christ in our hearts transforms us for good works. So Jesus has shown us that true greatness, right? It doesn't look like Alexander the Great. It doesn't look like the Beatles. It doesn't look like MJ. It it doesn't look like Steve Jobs. True greatness, he says, it looks like generosity. It looks like this sacrificial service. And, And third and last, Jesus shows us a true greatness through his compassion, Matthew 20, again, this is the last story before we're going to launch into the final week of Jesus' life. It's it's an important one. And Jesus, Matthew shows us here this story of Jesus as he, again, he's making his way to Jerusalem. It says that he goes out of Jericho, and again, they're heading toward Jerusalem. They've been been up here in the north, and they're, they're traveling back down, coming here to the south, heading toward Jerusalem. A great crowd's following, verse 30 says, And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebukes them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. It's interesting, right? I mean, they're using multiple titles, but twice they refer to him as Lord. That You're master, you're sovereign, you're in control, you have a power, authority. We recognize your power authority. They further, they call him the son of David. Like, you're the long-awaited Messiah. You're the one that the Old Testament's been looking to. But it's interesting that in the midst of that, they ask him to have mercy on us. 
The word mercy speaks of, maybe it's translated in your Bible, compassion. It speaks of this heart that is stirred when we see someone or see something that's suffering. And we have this right response or this desire to do something about it, to try to alleviate the suffering. That's what they're crying out. Have mercy on us. See our situation that we can't help ourselves. We can't change ourselves. We can't open our own eyes. Jesus, have mercy on us, son of David. We ask in this moment, is he indeed merciful? Does he indeed care about their suffering? If he does, what might it say to you and to me about how he sees our suffering and our hurts, our fears, our anxieties, our worries? If he sees these guys, how might he see us? I think it's interesting where Jesus says in Matthew 5, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown what? Mercy. Like there's an expectation that if you've received mercy, you would show mercy. But the truth is, let's be honest, we've all had moments when we haven't shown it. It's like we need mercy for not showing mercy. It reminds me of this moment. We were in Honduras and on a mission trip down there. And I know many of you have been. And we were walking through there in Tegus. And as we walked, I remember seeing this gentleman from a distance. And as we got closer, I could tell that most likely he was probably homeless his clothes, just the appearance, the fact that most other people weren't around him. As I got closer, I, I noticed that likely maybe this man had a handicap. And in my heart in that moment, like even in the sinfulness of my heart, like there was this compassion that arose. Like I just, I, I wanted to, to give a smile and just, just like, man, I, I see you. And like just praying like, God, would you just, you just be with this brother? Like I, but it, as I walked past him that day, I started to think like, man, if, like, I'm here and i got this sinful heart and I, I feel this compassion. Like, what might it have been for a sinless God-man full of his emotion and passion to have seen this man? Like, I, what might Jesus have done that day? Would he have stopped and talked? Would he have taken him to lunch? Would he have hugged him, fearing that he might smell like him or be associated with him? I, I don't know what Jesus necessarily would have done that day, but I, knew what, I know what he did this day. And what he did this day is amazing. Look what happens. And stopping, verse 32, Jesus calls them and says, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight. That word pity, it, it indicates, like the, again, this, this compassion, but it, like it's, it's like a full stop. Like this word that's here for pity or compassion again, and maybe if you have the King James, I don't know others, but like there's an indication like that their bowels, their intestines are moved. Like it's the way of saying, like it's the way of saying like it's the deepest spot in their hearts like stirred. This isn't like just something surface like I want to help you so you'll be quiet and I can get on my mission. Like this is Matthew saying to us, this is the heart of God. And listen, what you have to understand is these are the last guys. These are guys at the back of the line. They're, they're, they're blind. I mean, remember John 9? This man has been born blind from birth. I mean, the disciples asked Jesus, Master, who, who sinned, that guy or his parents, that he was born blind? Why? Because the assumption was if you were blind or you had some disability, it's because you had sinned and messed up or your parents had sinned and messed up. And Jesus says neither. He was born blind that the glory of God might be revealed. But guys, this is a last, these are two last men. These are guys at the very back of the line. And Jesus in his compassion. This, I want you to see again, this is the heart of God. 
This is God's heart being revealed. And he goes in compassion and mercy and he reaches out and he heals these men. Like it's a moment of just, let's just be honest, like this is God's heart toward the undeserving. This is God's heart toward the outcast of Greene County. This is God's heart toward the handicapped. This is God's heart toward the weak. This is God's heart toward you and I who are sinners. And it is a heart of compassion and humility and gentleness. Do you know what that means? It means that this week maybe hasn't been the best week for you. You haven't read the B-I-B-L-E as much as you have or wish you had. You haven't spent as much time praying. The opportunity to witness, you totally missed it. You derailed with family or people close to you and blew up. The temptation you thought you wouldn't give into, you gave back into it. And then we have this heart of God revealed. It says to us all, no one here is too dirty. Nobody here has messed up too much. No one here is unwelcome to come back to the Father because this is the heart of God. It is one of great compassion and tenderness and mercy and grace. Do you know Him? Have you received that grace, that mercy, that kind of compassion? It's interesting, right, that these guys who are last, most of the text finishes. It's an interesting way to finish. It just simply says they followed Him. These guys. It's the moment of what Jesus has been saying. And the last shall be what? Hurt. Because he's getting ready to walk into Jerusalem where they should absolutely welcome him. It's the people at the front of the line, so to speak, and they're going to reject him. But these guys, the last guys, the outsiders, are the ones because of God's great grace and heart he invites in. Today, can I just be honest with you for just for a moment, just maybe just speak as one of your pastors? I know that you guys, many of you are suffering, struggling. I had a conversation early this morning with one of our senior adults who's struggling. And we just had a conversation in that room just for a few moments about death. Again, this is one of our own, right? This, this is someone that occupies the pews with you. He says, we, we think about death, but when that moment comes, there's just something different about it. And we just began to share about the hope that we have in death because of Christ. The hope that, guess what, guys? Jesus says, I will never what? Leave you or forsake you. That means even in death. You know that? And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Just stand there in that room this morning to, to hear one of our faithful brothers say, I told them that if my heart stops, don't start it back. I know where I'm going. To hear that moment, to feel that weight of one of our godly senior adults struggling. So I want you to hear today that there is a tender and compassionate Savior. There is a merciful God who will be with you always to the very last breath. And as you and I cross over the Jordan, we won't cross over alone. Jesus doesn't say, oh, now you're going through a hard time. Now you're facing death. I'm sorry, I can't handle it. I have to step out of the room for a moment. The family may have to leave. The preachers may have to leave. But Jesus never leaves. You won't face death alone. You don't have to walk through this life alone. I, I just told him, I said, I just want, I can't do it justice, but with all that's in me this week, I just wanted to show you guys how beautiful your Savior is. How beautiful He is. How generous 
How willing to serve? How compassionate? I mean, we could leave here with this list of things like you need to be, do this more, do this more, this, this more. I just wanted you to leave saying, that's my Savior. And I believe that if He overwhelms and transforms our hearts, that we will hit this door running. Not because we have to, but because we get to and we want to. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that I am not peddling a dead man this morning. Thank you, God, to stand in that room this morning to give that brother, Lord, for him to encourage me and for me to encourage him. And that was only because we were both looking to Jesus. Father, I pray in this room this morning, God, please encourage your church. Lord, I pray today they are walking away saying, that's my Savior. He's compassionate because I am so weak. Thank you that you're generous and not tight-fisted, but you're open-handed because I sure don't deserve it. Thank you that you would ransom me because I could never free myself. Lord, I pray that our hearts just overflow with saying, Jesus, thank you. You satisfied the Father's wrath. You've done everything. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, I can't wait throughout eternity to get your feet and just, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you would rescue me from your wrath and hell. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, please, these are precious people. Encourage their hearts today, God. Please, all this within me, Lord, I desire it. Everything I have, please, Lord, please, let them see Jesus, God. Let them overwhelm their hearts, please, God. Please, Lord, I know you can. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.